Hey folks, before we begin, I just want to share a quick thought and request. On the Context Podcast, we continually seek out unique voices and perspectives and experiences in the Claris platform. We talk about FileMaker, we talk about Claris Connect, we talk about anything surrounding the platform that we work with. Yes, we occasionally do have guests on that have already been here before, but we would really love to hear anyone with a different perspective, a different voice, a different experience than what we've had before. If you have any ideas or topics that you would like to share with a wider audience, please reach out at thecontextpodcast at proofgeist.com or ping me anywhere in the community. I'm kind of all over there. Whether you're new to the platform or have been around for a while, whether you're working at a Claris FileMaker Platinum shop or just doing this on your own, we want to hear from you. We want your voice to be heard. We want to hear what you have to say. So let me know. If you want to share but aren't sure of an idea, ping me and I'll be glad to work with you to find our topic. Oh, and one more thing, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We've gotten some good feedback recently, but I'm always happy to hear more. And of course, the more stars, the more reviews, the better. All right, let's get started. Thanks. This is the Context Podcast sponsored by Proofgeist. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. The FileMaker platform keeps introducing new ways to send and receive data from other files or from another service. In the latest versions of FileMaker, OData was introduced. Many developers think the use of OData now is a game changer. Our guest, John Renfrew, gives us all the details about OData and makes it clear that this is indeed a game changer. At first, it seemed kind of scary and new and incomprehensible to me, but his clear description of its strengths and its uses demystifies the new feature. At the end of this episode, I realize that it's really not that much different than what I'm already doing in FileMaker using JSON or, or insert from URL or the execute data API script step and so forth. John is here to let us know that FileMaker developers of every experience level can have success in using OData to perform all manner of record related tasks. He gives us the reasons why we want to use this, possible use cases, and of course, he talks about some gotchas. Hey, John, welcome back to the Context Podcast. How are you this afternoon? I'm I'm very happy. It's that point in the English weather cycle when it feels most like California, and I do love it. A bit of you... a bit of warmth, a bit of sunshine. You know, go home, sit in the garden in the chair for half an hour with your with your shorts on. It just it just makes you feel good. How, how long does that last in in England? Uh, nowhere near long enough. Okay. Nowhere that you'd be satisfied with. <laughs> it's it's measured in small numbers of days. Usually, usually fingers on one hand. To be fair. <laughs> well, welcome. It's it's good to to talk to you again. I bring you on for a very specific reason, but. Before we do that, my listeners have heard you before. You came on when we talked about tinkering and FileMaker, which I still love that episode. I still love that idea um, that you you proposed. Um, but I'm just curious, what have you been working on? What have you been tinkering with recently before we get to our main topic? Um, some API stuff. Uh, I think that's the become the, the bread and butter. If you're not doing JavaScript, you're talking to other systems. I followed a tutorial. Duncan Baker did a fantastic tutorial, which is available online, 
about setting up Keycloak as your multi-factor authentication. So one day I sat and followed the tutorial, it took me about three hours, but it works and it worked. And uh, that was, I felt that was a good thing to be doing. That was a proper serious grown up bit of tinkering. Why did you need to do that? Was there a, did you have a specific reason? Future proofing, I think. Uh, you know, having kind of read some of the articles, uh, I think they're starting from scratch stuff, doing it all yourself. When somebody gives you a tutorial, then it's worth following it because I'm the kind of person who tries to break other people's stuff. That's mm -hmm. part of tinkering. So I responded to, to him and said, hey, here's a thing that might be better and here's a thing. And But yes, this all worked. So there's a bit of validation for other developers. Okay. Um, but part of it is just future-proofing. I can see some scenarios in the future where the whole, you know, using the new option to log in via buttons at the bottom of the login box would be a, a good thing to be able to sell to people as for security. So I want to have done it in advance of that, not be learning on the first job. It's an interesting idea to to learn before the first job, you know, before before you're required to use it because it's de you're definitely more inefficient when you're learning on the job, right? Yes. Uh, and and sometimes we, you know, you don't want to over-promise and under-deliver to a customer and say, oh, yes, of course we can do that, and then suddenly find yourself working till three in the morning just because you have a presentation at nine tomorrow and you still haven't got it to work. So uh, that was <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that's interesting. You should... Um... That's an interesting idea to learn stuff before you actually need it. And and part of the reason is you want to, so you know what it's capable of doing and you know what more you can offer to your potential clients as solutions to their problems, right? Uh, yeah, it's the tinkering approach, though, isn't it? You know, some, something else like the while function when it first came out. Well, you need to learn how to, how to kind of put that together on a few of your own use cases so that when you come to say, oh, this is the right place for it in a bit of programming, I then don't have to sit for two hours and work through all the examples. I, what I've got is a bit of muscle. Some of it's muscle memory, isn't it? The mental muscle memory of sometimes it's just good because when you follow something and it works, the first time you did a JavaScript calendar or a date picker and it worked, it's like, yes. Thank you very much. I am a programmer, and it's there's a bit of self confidence that it gives that, that if you if you kind of play around with something and it works and it does the thing you thought it could, it's good for it's good for you. That's great. Uh, that's a good reason to have good demos, right? That work <laughs> the first time out of the box. Well, we are here today to talk with you about OData, and is it OData or OData? I don't. I, I think, is it tomato or tomato? Okay. <laughs> let's, let's call the and, whole thing off. As the and, and really, I mean, the, the OData is, you're, you're going to have to tell me all about this because I just, I've not ever explored this. And so I'm, I'm really going to ask you questions like I have no idea what this is about because that's kind of where I'm at. OData, OData, first of all, just tell us what is this? Is this a FileMaker only thing? Is it a... A web thing. What what is what is OData? Uh, the the technical explanation is it's a REST protocol for querying, updating, and creating data over HTML. 
that's the high line and you can read that everywhere on the internet you look it up but essentially what you need to think of this as potentially maybe an html type replacement for odbc or a kind of web url sql little, little language odata itself has been around since 2007 and was effectively created by microsoft Huh. Um, and but it's subsequently been passed off from them to an organization called Oasis, who now look after it. And it is effectively an independent, standardized way of being able to, let's just say, query data. It can do more than just query, but it's it's a it's a kind of external in the same way that if you have any kind of table that looks like it's SQL behind the scenes and you know a bit of the SQL language you can get a result from that table because you know how to write the query. So OData is a standardized way of being able to access and query data. And clearly what FileMaker Server does is hold tables full of data. So um, that's that's kind of where, where it fits, but it's using web protocols and particularly it's RESTful. So it's all of the get, put, patch type verbs that we know with making URL calls that are all part of our everyday work now. It, it seems like it is a part of our everyday work, whatever OData solves. And, you know, you, you talked about the web URL. Okay, so OData is part of how websites and services work nowadays. You said Microsoft invented it. It's, Go ahead. Yeah, it's, well, it's it's one way. Um, one. Essentially, it's, it's about an, another way to get data from point A on a server to point B where you want to use it. And obviously from FileMaker's perspective, because it's independent and because it's external, it means that anybody who has skills in that area can immediately make a query against the FileMaker server if you tell them where it is and what our username and password is. But from FileMaker's perspective, so what, what it's part of their journey to replace some of the older methods of getting data out. So the Custom web publishing and the XML gateway um, are all deprecated and all gone away. Mm. But obviously, this is a, a part of the suite of replacements for that in, in FileMaker's terms. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because this is new to FileMaker as of, what, version 19.1 or something, 0.2? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's only been around for a while in our worlds. You mentioned it's replacing like CWP and other methods. Were those methods still being used that Claris realized they needed to get that stuff out and they needed to replace it with something more modern? Uh, a couple of things there, aren't there? So we don't fully understand all of the technicalities of what they have to do to create a bridging layer between the FileMaker Draco engine where the server has data in it and something that's externally facing. And we want that externally facing thing to be secure for all kinds of reasons these days. And we want it to be performant. Um, and there is some kind of argument that the world, the web world has moved away from XML as a method of delivering data towards JSON. So I'm imagining that the older ways of doing things weren't quite so easy to just go, oh, instead of giving XML, let's give JSON. But it because it's using 
all of the OData standard, it actually is adding more than could potentially be done while still fulfilling the same functions. Go and find me the contents of a record, go and find me something, run a script in the background um, and give me back a result. Um, It's just that that we want, or we prefer the result to be in JSON these days. Um, Obviously, FileMaker wrote their own with the data API, DAPI, which gives you that, but they've written their own, no idea how it works. I don't technically have any idea how this works. I do, however, know that if you know how to write an OData query, you'd be able to get a response instantly from FileMaker without having to learn anything. Here's the book on the data API. Here's all the things you need to learn. If you externally already have chops in this area, you can get data back instantly. So it's it's actually like any programmer, anybody who's worked with this outside of FileMaker could come inside of FileMaker or wherever this is set and write a query or an action and have no problems, right? Absolutely. So, okay, so let's see here. I'm trying to fully understand this. This is a way of exchanging data between services and websites. What we can do with it, I believe, is to get data out of FileMaker, out of our FileMaker file. And what, what, what do we do with that? Do we... Websites, is it FileMaker to FileMaker? Is it FileMaker to yeah to another file? Um, what do you do with this uh, with with OData? Well, it's, it's all of the above, Jeremy, isn't it? Oh, okay. But, but the, the difference is that those older methods of getting data out of FileMaker, you could, and people did, write a custom web publishing website uh, where the data was hosted on FileMaker, but actually never used FileMaker as a client at all right you could you could write a complex website to do that the big difference uh, from our perspective as users with both the data data api and odata is now that the amount of data that's transferred out is metered measured and is set against an allowance that we have um, per user per per year uh, or per month it's relatively high Basically, it's a way of, I think, I don't want to be cynical, but it is a way of stopping people just having a FileMaker server, no user licenses, and writing a massive, great web-based thing that is continually uh, smacking data in and out of FileMaker without FileMaker getting any revenue from it. That's, you know, There is a level at which, from the company's perspective, that's something that they've decided to do. Um, we can argue the toss about about whether we like that, but that is that is part of the mechanics of how the you know pay to connect to the server um, some way or another. So you would argue maybe that this isn't the right tool if you have a massive website that is continually reading and writing data. Then you're probably not going to be using FileMaker as the back end for it, uh-huh. either perform for, for, for performance reasons or for cost reasons. Okay. Um, but in terms of our everyday use, you're really unlikely to hit those limits. Let's be yeah. fair. So this is metered along with the um, FileMaker Data API. It's kind it, of in the same bucket. You can use both services. You can use both methods. And you're, you're still under the same metering um, yes. limits. Okay. All right. So describe the mechanics of this for us. Um, you've told us what it does. Um, and we'll get into to details and specific uses and use cases. But can you describe the mechanics of it from 
beginning to end, like how does it get set up? Where is it set up? What are the, the requirements of it and so forth? So first thing is to say that at this moment in time, it's only available on the Linux versions of FileMaker Server. So that's the version that you can download and install yourself and FileMaker Cloud, which obviously is also a Linux-based server. Um, there is talk about it coming eventually to the other platforms, but at the moment, so the first thing is, if you want to use this, and that's why at the moment, I suppose it's for tinkerers, it's on Linux, okay? okay. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is then in the admin console, it's there's a switch on a page that you have to go and turn on to say, yes, I want to use OData, please. Um, when you turn that on, you now get a new OData log that's separate from the data API log. But that's effectively all you have to do at that end, turn it on on the server. Um, because obviously it's, it's allowing access. Um, within your FileMaker file, there's now a brand new extended privilege to allow using OData uh, as a source. So you have the same level of kind of granular control uh, of access to your file. All you have to do is kind of turn on the extended privilege, which is which is called FMO data, which allows access to OData. So you can you can control usernames and passwords that have access via OData that have access in no other way. In the same way, there's a separate privilege set, um, extended privilege for FM REST, which is the uh, data API. So you have to turn it on in the server. You have to go and create a user that has that extended privilege, and obviously there's a username and password. That's effectively, that's your starting point. Okay. There you go. The big difference, uh, there are some smaller differences that we'll end up talking about. The really big difference about OData versus the data API is that OData is run using basic authentication, a username and password. It doesn't involve talking to the server with the username and password, getting a token back, and then using the token in every subsequent request. So it's much simpler to use. You don't have to manage tokens, store them anywhere. They don't expire. Um, every time you do a request, you just pass the username and password. So you can create multiple usernames and passwords, one of which has lots of access, one of which only has read access to certain elements. So you're, you have a, a fine control over the access to your data. But in terms of at the other end, it's much simpler to write a website that just passes a username and password that's base64 and everything as the authentication. Because actually loads of web developers understand that. So it's it simplifies the access. And then from that point, what you are doing is what you would be normally doing to talk to an API. You are creating a, a URL string, which consists of the address of where to get to, and then some kind of query parameters that, that come after it. And it's in those query parameters that that's where OData is a language that you just need to go and read the documents and learn how to use because it's a standardized way of, of doing the, the queries. That's, that's what you need to get started. Um, set it up on the server, username and password, go to Postman, start a URL, follow some examples, get your first data back. I guess in the most obvious scenario, you have a website that connects back to your FileMaker file that 
you know, the point of the website is to show data from the FileMaker site, like inventory or yep. whatever, students or whatever. And in the past, or even just recently, as far as as, as early back as to, uh, FileMaker 17, we could use the FileMaker Data API to do that. What you said is that it requires a token. The Data API requires a token. You have to generate that. It expires after a certain time. You have to store it. And although I'm sure web developers have no problem with any of what I just said, the OData method makes it much easier because all you're doing is passing in a username and password. Absolutely. Okay. So, and <clears throat> an example is, you may have done this. Somebody sends you a FTP link to a file somewhere and you paste that into your browser and then it says login with username and password and then you see a directory listing of the FTP site. Okay. That's how we used to, before we had FTP clients, that's how we all used to do it. Well, you can copy and paste an OData URL into your browser, the browser will just ask you for the username and password, and then instantly that data will be displayed in a table in your browser. Okay. So the, sim the simplest of forms of giving people access to data is send them a URL, send them a username and a password, so paste that into your browser and just type, type that in. Off you go, thank you very much. That, now, that may not be good enough for what you need to do, but that's that's effectively how simple how simple it is. Now, obviously, you wouldn't you wouldn't want them to log in every time with the username and password because, as you said, I think a web developer knows how to store that, encode it so that it's transferred securely. Absolutely. And then, okay, and then FileMaker can receive it, un unencode it use those credentials, authenticate, and then pull the data back out, right? Yeah, effectively, the authentication is in, in tech, for those who are technical, the authentication is in a header. It's not in the open in the URL, but it is just a base, it's just a base 64 user colon password, but it's in a header, therefore it's not in the URL string, so it's not hackable. But if you know, if you know simple curl, if you've got Postman open, um, and you are, have access to that, then you can be doing doing it that simply. I was going to ask you about security, but I think before we do that, can we let's let's like specifically mention everything that OData can do in FileMaker. You said it can query, so we can get back all the results of a of a certain table. I assume many multiple tables. Could you? I don't know if you could do a query for multiple tables, but so you can get a query back. What else can you do with OData that concerns FileMaker? We need to just step back a second okay. to consider how, how OData works. So the first thing is, and one of the major differences apart from this token authentication, is that OData only works on the native table occurrences in your graph. Okay, that's important. It's not tied to a layout at all. So in its very simplest, you can have a proper data separation file, which is literally just a file of tables of data. And there are no layouts associated with any of those table occurrences. Um, the first query you can make against the file um, asks for metadata. And what, the, what that gives you back is a list of all of the tables or table occurrences in the file and all the fields in each of the tables. 
they're called slightly differently. They're not called tables. They're called entities. But so effectively, the first thing you would do is you go, tell me everything about this file that you've just given me access to. So you get the metadata back, regardless of all of your permissions, as long as you have a username and password for the file. So from that, you can then you can go, oh, I know I have a table called this, and in it are some fields called this. So now, what do I want to do with this? I can I can do, I can run any kind of query. Find me one record, okay? Find me all the records that match this set of conditions. Find me everything where the ID is greater than seven, or find me everything where the date is before the first of January. So those kind of queries, everything from a simple find me a single record to find me a set of records as a query. But what you get back, you are also controlling programmatically. So either give me back everything for this record, i.e. every field for this record, or just give me these three fields that I've told you. And I know what those fields are because I queried the metadata. So just give me the ID, the person's first name, and the person's surname. I don't need anything else. So what that does is that reduces the volume of data that you're bringing back because it, if you're measuring it, that's all you need. You don't need all your other fields. Similarly, because you have access to a record, you can now update a record as well. So find the record whose ID is 17 and change the surname from X to Y. Okay, so we've got queries, we're reading data, we can update data. We can obviously create a brand new record. So here's a big piece of JSON, which contains all of the fields and all of the values that you might need. Could you just go off and create a record in this table for me, please, as well? So you've got create, read, update. And what else can you do? Uh, yes, you can delete a record as well. But only if you have permission. You can't just go and delete every record once you know what the idea is. You have to have delete permission in your username and password set. So a, a username has to have the delete records permission as well as extended privilege set. And that combination will allow them to delete records. Absolutely. Um, so does those are your kind of base, basic query, do a thing, change a thing, modify a thing, delete a thing. Um, but that's, the, data, that, the data API could do that as well, right? Absolutely. And there's, so from that perspective, it's, there's, no, there's no kind of added value there. Uh, at the same time, same as the data API, you can, as part of that, run a script, either on its own or beforehand or afterwards. You know, so same kind of, same kind of stuff that the data API can do. Where the OData is different is in two major areas. One is that if you have the permission, you can alter the schema of the file. Okay. So you can add a table or you can add fields in a table in our language. That's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing is around, how, uh, this is a more complex for near the end potentially. You can create multiple actions as one batch of actions in one go. So you can create some records, you can update some records, you can delete a record, you can change something else, all as one big batch. 
and that batch can be transactional. I know that's a separate topic. Now, those are two. Those are two kind of massive, different areas that um, that OData, OData gives us. And obviously, the, the sexy one in that sense is the oh, you can fiddle with a schema only if you have the permission to create um, the table and play with it. And, and that would be full access, right? Yes. Full access yeah. credentials. Okay. All right, so I want to ask about that. Is that is that the extent of what it can do, or did I stop you too early? Uh, no, I, there's some nuances within that, isn't there? So there's some subtleties about how you could use the features. So, uh, for example, if you have a if you have a table of values that has multiple fields in it, and you want you want to make sure that one of the columns becomes emptied, okay? Um, but we don't love giving people access to um, replace field contents and making them all blank. But programmatically, you could do that with OData. Um, so, so the first thing you do is go, find me the, last the ID of the last record in this column. So if that column has 20,000 records in it, but, you only, but you're using a field that only has 40 records, find me the last ID of that record, and then replace this particular field with a zero, with an empty, for every record with the ID is less than 41, for example. So there's, there's some tasks we can do. So partial replace field contents with either a value or an empty, which I have been using. Um, as in my kind of experimenting with, oh, would this work? Would this be a good method to do a task that is a task that I want to do every now and then? Take a table and partially remove some of the values, um, but do it programmatically without opening up the interface to somebody with a command, which I think is one of the most dangerous commands we have available to us. Um, you're astounding me by telling me that you can update the schema with with that. I realize that you can do that with other methods, right? There are plugins, and so and I think SQL can do it somehow, and so forth. But it's never been part of like <laughs> the the feature set, right? No, what what we love to call FileMaker native. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, and, and as far as I understood, it, there was a very good reason for that. It was scary to, you said it was sexy. I think it's scary to have, <laughs> have somewhere the ability to update the schema. But ODATA, Claris is allowing ODATA to do that. They obviously didn't have to, um, but they're allowing ODATA to do that. What does that tell you about? Claris's mindset about this or about the general need for that. Why why are we suddenly why are we getting that in this new feature? So clearly they have allowed it in the past, but only via a plugin. So it's a, as ever, that's a use with care. Don't don't kind of lock all your tables and do things that are really stupid because a SQL query you can cause some real damage. So maybe this is a way for it to be done in a more controlled fashion because, the can, you know, so first of all, it's based around a username and password that you have set. Um, a plugin can potentially be doing it if you're just a regular user and somebody wrote a script, and that could be malicious uh -huh. as well as being by design. This way, 
you've made a deliberate choice to give somebody a username and password or to allow some access to be able to do this. But there are there would be some very good reasons why if that if creating a table in the same way that if you go to the website W3Schools and learn how to create a table in SQL, if you know that exists in OData, then why wouldn't you allow it? Because it's a sort of external standard. I see. So yep. as long as you as long as you've dealt with that, then what it makes it look like is that Clarissa creating a product which is playing well with the outside world, isn't ha- isn't hamstringing things, isn't making somebody go through hoops to learn how to use it, which is a little bit of what some web developers are. You know, people are writing wrappers for the data API so that web developers who talk PHP don't have to spend time learning it, but they've kind of written a wrapper this way well if it's available in the odata standard it's now available to us so i have a very interesting use case of where i've already put it into into use um, a project that i'm involved in in the uk involves reporting data to the government about students and uh, the definition of uh, how everything works is given to us as a massive xml file and the XML file contains at the, the first half, it contains all of the values what, for what we would call value lists for all of the possibilities. And af- after that, there's a this is how you need to return the data to us. So it turns up in XML. So as an exercise, I said, can I start with uh, a blank table and this XML file and create all the fields that I need to create? to then be able to walk over the XML file, knowing that the field was there and create records for each, for as many values as there are presented to me as, as values. So that was done. That was one of my tinkering exercises, <laughs> um, but it works. You know, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes in total to do the whole thing, but I have a table with about 60 fields in it. So there's a, a code field and a matching value field that then generate a value list. So what that now means is that when they update this XML file, I can point the XML file out a script and know that the tables of values will rebuild themselves with all the current legal values. And if there are any missing fields, it will just add them to the table. That's what OData can do. I obviously had to program it, but that's one of those things that once you've done it once, if you can just throw the file at it and it will repeat the task, then you've kind of saved yourself some massive kind of... We, we had, we had, we've had some conversations with Dave from uh, FM Perception about, well, FM Comparison really, about can we get to a point where I could tell the difference between these two files, generate some data that I could use to use the OData method to then say, oh, you need to add these to this file over here. I think there are, that's where the, the their edge case is, but I think there's some possibilities that we'll begin to discover about how we can automate our kind of creations of stuff. So, uh, you know. Interesting. There's a bit of learning, really. It's not it's not a simple task. But, um, I, there was a project I worked on, not, not recently, but last year, had me creating a an entire schema, obviously not relationships, but the at least the tables um, through a JSON LD schema structure. So I would read that I would have to parse through the the JSON object and pull out like the 
the name of the table that was um, class that was like signified in a certain way. So if I if I found an at symbol with like a um, table word on it or something, then I knew that the the key there was a uh, was was supposed to be a table, and so I made that table. Really? And I was using the plugin to do that, and you know, obviously, since this was within FileMaker, it was FileMaker to FileMaker, it was fairly simple to do that. Um, but there was a lot of issues with that, and and I feel like this sounds like it could be a better method. I, I don't know yet, and we're gonna I'm gonna ask you about this, but from FileMaker to FileMaker, how that works, and see if see if I could transition this project from using uh, the 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 plugin to the OData stuff, but. I had a question. So my, my big question is, okay, so you, you mentioned a while back ago, it creates table occurrences or it, cre it reads from table occurrences. It doesn't actually read from the base tables, right? It reads from the table, the single table occurrence or the, the named table occurrence that's in the relationship graph, right? Correct. Okay. okay. So when you, so as, as FileMaker developers, we can get in there and we can, change the table occurrence name. So from contacts to contacts underscore students or something like that. And then we could use that table occurrence name in our query. So I was just thinking like we have, this is a, a area that we have to be careful because just like we have to be careful with layouts and it's nice that we don't have to rely on layouts anymore for at least for this method. We still have to be careful with the table occurrence names. We can't just go in there and willy-nilly change the table occurrence names. Um, yes, I, I'm going to be arguing that if you're a SQL programmer, the idea of changing table names is like, just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. If you want something different, you drop the whole table and you recreate it from scratch and then you import some data. Um, that's, that is, I agree, about discipline. Uh, the, the bigger danger that we have that is in, in the data API because it queries layouts and you create layouts specifically for data API queries that don't contain any excess fields because you don't want more data back than you need, that A, you can rename those layouts and or delete them because you forgot what they were for and it stops working. And some and somebody else who's your helpful programmer assistant can go and stick some other fields on the layout because they just think it's helpful. Or you end up having to manage the schema to suddenly go, oh, yeah, but in this query, when I'm talking to that, uh, that layout, I also want this field back as well. So there's things to manage that you can also break that this the only thing that really can break is if you change the table occurrence and just don't do that. And, and the, the the thing I said at the beginning is, well, why wouldn't you have a table, a file that was literally data separation, just your tables of data? And at that at that point, you're not messing about with them because you're never changing the name, even though FileMaker, Claris allows us to do that. I was just going to, yeah, this is another great reason to have a data separation model. So you can do whatever you want in the UI file and change the table occurrences, delete them, update them, you know, get them nice and perfect according to your naming schema. But the the table occurrences inside the, the data file just stays their base table name and that's it, right? So but the but the other the other difference here as well is that it's a it's a different type of data separation that's available as well. 
you're, the file that you're querying for some data does not even have to be on the same server. And you don't have to have a local link to the file because you're referring it to, to it by URL. You're saying, bring me back the data from over there. So you could have your user's password table, which of course we're not going to do, but you could have your user's password table on a completely separate server. And even if somebody broke into your file, if you've obscured it in the right kind of way, there's no, there's no active link between file A and file B. There doesn't have to be. It's proper data separation so that your data source doesn't have to be even on the same server to bring back something. So if you want to query the last six months' worth of sales data, then the file where that is stored is somewhere else, and you bring that back and you present it in a nice little JavaScript JSON-type web viewer object, but there is no... It's a light, your UI is properly lightweight because it only contains the instructions for how to deal with the data that I just queried. It doesn't even have to have TOs. So uh, again, uh, you know, there's a bit of exploring as to how that really works under performance, but I've already developed some use cases where I'm looking at, I want that thing over there to be properly separated from this thing here because then I can duplicate this thing here and give it to somebody else and it'll still reference file B everywhere, even if, because that's my, I don't know, table of values um, or, or something. So this, this whole model that you're suggesting, when you have a data separated model, it could have its own user accounts that do nothing. Well, obviously, obviously you need user accounts to be able to to fetch data if someone is looking at the data in a UI file, right? Yep. Even if it's on a different server, you still need to be able to open the data file to show the data on the UI screen inside that UI file. But those people, those those user accounts could have nothing to do with the with the OData. And OData accounts are only good for the data file. Correct. What we what we really want Claris to be delivering to us with every new piece of technology whether that's interface or under the hood here, is some new possibilities. Go back to card windows. It opens some windows. A card window is not the answer to every problem. In the same way that a JavaScript web viewer, Jeremy, isn't the answer to every problem. It can solve some problems that were otherwise difficult, and it can do some features that will add significantly to, to our toolbox. What this does, I feel, is, is open the door to things that you wouldn't consider doing via the data API. So the first thing is, it's quicker because you don't have to, the step where you get the, get the token, store the token, do the query, and then log off so that you don't end up with loads of ghost sessions afterwards is made simpler by this task. Whether or not it's a sensible thing to query a server that's on the other side of the country just to get back 12 values is a, is a whole separate issue, isn't it? You know, it's, it's horses for courses, but it's a proper tool in our toolbox, which I believe we'll begin to see some much more interesting use cases for um, as, as, it, it, as, as people have wider access to it. The, the fact that, that Claris built this, they added it to the FileMaker platform, is really good because they were able to set it up using the security model that they have to prevent any 
shenanigans with this, um, with with being able to access a file. This is the kind of stuff. I mean, I don't. I I have a lot of opinions. I don't always voice them. <laughs> um, I mostly just go with the flow. But I feel like this is the stuff that we need to. In we need to just ensure Claris has the time to continually improve. They don't, in my opinion, they don't need to build a calendar for us because we've already got thousands of ways to do calendars, whether card windows and repeating fields or JavaScript or whatever. That's stuff we can handle as regular developers. But the people who actually write the code, they just need to keep, fo they need to keep focusing a lot on the security and adding more connection models, but keeping the security tight. There's no way I could, none of us could handle all that OData stuff that needs to be built into the system. So no, no, no. I'll make a, basically is using most of the OData standard. Not okay. every, not every single thing is supported, but I am aware of some some more kind of potential features that are coming in that extend it a little bit. But it's not particularly crippled in or, you know hampered in that way. You know our use of execute SQL is limited in not just that we can only use select, but that there are some things where it's stuck in the 92 model and we all understand that and that's the limitation. Uh, Claris have in fact implemented most of the OData standard. And mm -hmm. if you read the OData help documentation via the website, then it will tell you which bits are not supported. And there might be some good reasons for that. Um, either it's technically difficult or because of security issue, but I think they're gonna creep out some of the features as well to something else. I know something else that I particularly think would be very, very useful uh, as a feature, for instance. Are there any gotchas to this? Are there any like stumbling blocks? Um, are there any items to be specifically aware of when you're working in this entire OData ecosystem? The first one as ever is try it, work out what it will do, and then work out whether it's the right tool for the job. So that involves the kind of testing of, if I do this, how long does it take? If I do it this way, how long does it take? If I do it that way, how long does it take? And don't assume that just because it's a method of doing it, you should apply it to every single, <laughs> to every single problem and see how it works at scale. So, uh, you know, that's the first thing. That's the first got you with every new thing learn how to use it and then learn when not to use it, <laughs> you know, so that your your systems don't look like they were built in 1990 because you just used all the 1990 features and then didn't move. The gotchas are around uh, the potential of, uh, so, so in general, OData respects record locking. So if somebody else has got a record locked and you're trying to do an update, no, it won't work because of course it shouldn't work because that's that basic level that we have come to understand how, atomicity, isn't it? How all of that works. There are potentially ways to make uh, OData properly transactional, but I think there's a, we need to do a bit more proper testing on how to, how to kind of make that work. Um, a really interesting odd got, gotcha is that because this is now logged, as soon as you turn this on, the OData log is created on the server. Every time you make a request, against the server, the thing that you asked for is logged. Find me a record where the first name equals Jeremy. Well, that's logged. Now, there may be some very good reasons why, 
you don't want the person who has access to the log to be able to see the queries that you've made because effectively that could be a, if somebody downloads that log and leaves it unprotected on their on their machine somebody else opens it they can go oh there's some records here called you know my, called michael jackson or you know whoever else so so there's a there's a there's a gotcha that's a kind of unforeseen the thing that we would never do that one day we do that somebody gets some some kind of access to what queries you were making there there is a very interesting workaround to that though which is that you can create what is effectively like what we would understand in HTML terms a multi-part request, but with only one part to the body. Um, when you create that, that becomes a post, but the post contains a get request. Well, the post requests are not logged. So it's a little bit of a workaround and it requires a little tiny little bit of understanding how to make it work. But effectively, that's a way of blocking that specific action the other gotcha is around the difference in behavior of container fields which i think is a kind of very interesting use case if you use the data api and you query a layout that's got a container field on it you get a link to the container you don't get the, the data the container data you get all the fields data but not any containers you get a link if you still have this a session open you can use that link to then separately effectively query and pull the file out but the file name has been changed to some unique file it's not identifiable you just know it's a pdf potentially you have to have stored the file name so it's a like two-part thing it looks like there's also a difference in the way that the data is metered so when you use the streaming container method from the data api it appears that the data isn't metered. So a clever way of getting a lot of data out of FileMaker was to run a script that did a massive query, turned all of the, the values in the query into a file, stored it in a container field, and gave that back as the answer, and then downloaded the container. That was a way of bypassing, um, of bypassing that. Well, in OData, you don't have stream. There's no concept of streaming containers. So if you query the field which has a container, which has container data, you will get base64 of the file. And it's all metered. Now the, the difficulty with that from my perspective is if you query a table and somebody's put a two gig file in every record <laughs> just for a laugh, yeah. then every time you run an OData query, raw on that table you can be getting back massive amounts of data which will start to be eating up your allowance uh, there are there's a couple of ways around it we're still not fully sure you can uh, technically you can do a head request in the options and just ask and what that does is return the file size but not actually the file bytes but we on the early experimenting we've done it looks like that is also metered and it feels like that shouldn't be. It should literally be the number of bytes that is transferred. So if you do a postman request, it says, how many bytes is this? So that's a, there's a gotcha around, around that. There are gotchas as ever about using large numbers and whether or not they, you know, as, we, as you do in JSON, you have to work around. You can't pass that number as a number because it's too large. There's a very simple way to, to handle it uh, with OData though. Instead of doing your request, 
to update in JSON with a JSON payload, just do it as an XML payload instead. And that survives because uh, the Atom format will cope with that. So those, those are the kind of main areas where there are kind of obvious things to consider, slight differences to the data API, but nothing that's like a red flag going, yeah, you don't want to be using that. I'm always curious as to whether these kinds of things are intentional on Claris's part, or if they just somehow got figured out by people. You mentioned your workarounds or the ways to work around it. Um, are these kind of workarounds documented or are they ways that uh, people have figured out what to get around something? Uh, a, a couple of those are. So okay. Steve, uh, whose name I can never remember, but because I only know him on his community name as Steve SSH. Um, Steve, who works for Beeswax, yes. is, has written two out of three blog posts around this. We had a number of conversations when he was writing. He's got a demo file, not unlike the SQL Explorer file that Jason Young wrote when we first got to Access SQL. Here's a file that you can go to the Beeswax blog and download it, host, host the data so you can do, and clearly, again, only on Linux, but you can run those queries. And then there are notes in some of the queries saying, hey, here's a, here's a how to do this. Here's a, here's a workaround. Um, some of the other things are not yet documented because there hasn't been a place, a place to, I don't know, create a blog about it yet. Potentially, maybe Claris Engage will give us some sessions on OData when these things can be, therefore, documented in that way so you can point people to that. Some of them are just... Uh, the, at the first stages of, oh, this works because I tinkered with it and this actually works. <laughs> Maybe somebody else would look at it and go, well, yeah, that's obvious to me, but it wasn't necessarily obvious from the first off. The, you know, the big gotcha, isn't it, is it's learning another language. It's So there are people who still don't like writing SQL queries inside FileMaker because they don't want to learn that other language. There are people who don't like playing with APIs because they have to learn how to create parameter strings or URL strings. This is another place where the language, it's called a filter when you kind of say, I want this. So you don't use the equal sign, for instance, you use the letters EQ. So space EQ space means equals. That is just, it's like a SQL kind of language. Um, once you've read the documentation and got your little crib sheet and started to use it, then it's just something that, you know, what it becomes muscle memory, isn't it? Mental muscle memory. Oh, that's how you do that. And I don't learn, like you, you don't learn it all. I still sit with open books every time I'm doing something on a cheat sheet because I don't need to learn it because it's Mr. Google is your friend and he can find you the answer pretty quickly. And because it's been there for that long, there are lots of sites that would help you with some basic OData query stuff. Okay. You're not left in the dark um, about it. Yeah, and the, uh, the, the Steve at Beeswax has that great file with 40 plus examples. That's great stuff. Um, as I understand, I think you mentioned this before, the file, the data file actually has to be on the server. So it, 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 you can't really use the Beeswax file just locally, you have to place it on a cloud Correct. or Linux server, right? Correct. Correct. 
Okay, yeah, all right. So, so, so I, I understand not everybody's going to be up to speed with playing with this yet because yep. they don't have the option. Um, you know, as you and I are both aware, the advantage, one of the advantages of Linux servers is uh, they're two a penny, and you can spin one up for a day to play with it if you've got the wherewithal to do that. You know, it's not it's not the biggest thing in the world to be able to kind of set set that up, or you just set it up for a month and play with it, or you piggyback on the a friend who's got one to be, to be able to do it. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, but it's I know that it's not in that sense widely available and part of the reason for having this conversation is to say hey when you get the chance to play with it when you suddenly get access to a linux server here's some of your research already done for you here's a conversation which talks about things which points to some things you can look at in terms of help and the other the other things you can do jeremy are so unfortunately there isn't a lot on a mac which can use odata as a source because excel which is one of the prime places you'd want to use it on a Mac, doesn't yet have OData as a source. It does on Windows. So if you you can set up a spreadsheet on Windows that has an OData source in the same way that you can set up one that has an ODBC source and just pull some data from a FileMaker file once you've told me what the query is into an Excel table. But therefore, it also works with some other things some of which are Microsoft-based. Power BI, it works with. It works with Tableau, works with Click, um, if you want to do you know, proper data visualizations. Because it's Microsoft, there are lots of libraries and example codes for writing .NET, and it's integrated into Visual Studio. So that's why I say it doesn't necessarily mean that you as a FileMaker programmer are the person to do that. But if you hand it off to somebody who's a .NET programmer and go, there you go, here's a data source, somebody else could be writing you something that they all you need to give them is, here's where the URL is, here's your username and password, off you go, thank you very much. Um, so we, we immediately, so that's an, one of the reasons potentially for doing this is you tap into, in the same way that, you know, in your favorite subject, you tap into a world of JavaScript programmers who've already solved the problems. Well, here you could tap into at least some number of people who've written OData-based things to, yeah. to generate a thing in which the data source is FileMaker. You, you talked about a web developer giving her a username and password, and off she goes. There's some danger in that, in that that account could potentially get to every part of the system when you don't need that to happen. You, the metadata returns a list of every table in the in the set in the in the mm. file. Yes. Could you use the uh, table access in that user account to limit what they see? Does metadata uh, um, respect the user's privileges to tables and fields and and records? I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be saying that I think the metadata returns everything okay but you can limit you can say you have no access to this table you have to can say you have no access to this field in this table and therefore if you do a query against that it will go yeah there isn't any data to give you back so you you know so and so there are clearly that might be a gotcha about system design maybe what you do is create a file 
that has three tables in it, all of which you want to be accessible by OData, and that's it. Okay. You can't see the other files on the server. You can only see the, the file based on the file name and the username and the password that I've given you. So that would be a way to limit damage. But equally, within that, it does respect. Um, so if you said, if I said, yeah, you can't have access to those 10 fields in this table, you'd get back no data. Even if you knew there was a field there, but if you can't see it, and therefore you have create turned off as well and you have update turned off. So you can't make a record and add some stuff in there. You can't uh, modify an existing record because you don't have, you know, computer says no, <laughs> sorry, you're not, you're not coming in. So that's up to you to manage at a very granular level the, uh, the access. It, wait, is that done? You mentioned in file, in file maker. So in file maker. Yeah, that, that's done through the access privileges through the through the access privileges of that user account, or is it? Yeah, in the security in the security. Yeah. Okay. You, you go. Here's 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 a here's a person with a privilege set. The privilege set is called limited data, and they have a username and a password. It has O data turned on, but then you go through all of the tables and all the fields, going, yeah, but you're not getting that, and you're not modifying that, and sorry, you can't even see that. That's nice. Um, so that's you know so. That's the that's the the amount of work you'd have to do in a in a proper big system, which says how do we make sure that the junior in the warehouse doesn't destroy things by being accidentally able to erase these twenty thousand records? Well, you fix that at that level because that's the native tool that FileMaker has given you, and this respects that and therefore builds on your ability to to manage things. Okay, so that again, it's integrated fully into the security model that the FileMaker application has. That's great. Okay. You know, as you're talking about this, when we first started recording, I said, I really don't know much about this at all. And that was definitely true. It seemed at the beginning mystifying, but, you know, just our conversation in the last 50 or so minutes have kind of demystified it for me. I, I can understand it pretty simply, I, I can understand it well now because, well, mainly because I've had I've had use of the <laughs> execute FileMaker data API script step. And, you know, I'm starting to write queries to access other servers, other services and pull data down through the insert from URL. So this doesn't seem as mystifying or as strange as I thought it was going to be. If you can do all of those things, Jeremy, and you have it, have you successfully written a query using the data API? Um, then this is just the same thing. There are some, like I say, there are some differences about how this equals this is not this equals sign this, it's this space EQ space this. Those are just syntax things. So it's a bit like you know, writing in French Canadian, not writing in American. You just have to learn how that works. Mm -hmm. um, Often what we do is start with a tool like Postman or Poor or something like that externally just to build up our knowledge because we want the we want the query equivalent of Hello World, don't we? Can I do a query that gets back an answer because that's my first step. And once I've got an answer, then that's the first step on my journey to now how do I limit it? Now how do I do this? How do I make sure this doesn't happen? And some of those things are not obvious. So some of them are in Steve's files. Some of them I might have to write about, like 
how to properly limit the amount of data that you get back so you're not just bringing back everything. Um, but there are some very some very cool ways to do that, um, for example. And you know how to how to build multiple complex queries. What happens? How do you send the script parameters? Um, if you send a script parameter and run a script, uh, and that has an exit script condition, then you you get back the answer in your JSON payload of the get script result, effectively. All right. So there there are things around just working out. Oh, that does that. That does that. That does that. But they are very similar if you have experience of writing URLs for other APIs yeah. which you expect to get some data back, then that's your you're already part of the way there. It's just a different thing and you need to learn the language. But that language isn't isn't incomprehensible. It can be learned by an old timer FileMaker developer just as easily as somebody who's used to working in this kind of space with different SQL languages and so forth, right? That, that's the old time FileMaker developer with a young heart and a young mind. That's you, right? <laughs> that's not just me, but there are many, there are many of us like that. It's, no, I know it's, but you, but, but you, uh, you have a good, you are a good representation of that. Thank you. That's a <laughs> thank you. I'm still young, so you know it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Learn um, from the master. Um, okay, so I was I was actually uh, interested in this. Um, I did watch a little bit of what Steve had um, shown, and and I might have to have him on to talk about this more too. But he talked about uh, the primary key idea. How do you target a certain record in a, a certain table? There was something there that I didn't quite understand. So in the query, for ex there are several ways to do this. Okay. So the first one is in the string you get to, so you're you're building a URL which has forward slashes every now and then. And so you get you get to the table name and then you go forward slash surname, open brackets, single speech mark, brown, single speech mark, close brackets. That targets a single record where the surname is brown. Okay. Now you can do that by passing the unique ID as that, whatever your UUID, unique ID, or you know whatever name and convention you use, you can pass that in. Or you can use a special construction which involves querying ID three. And that uses the FileMakers under the hood get record ID number. So you can query it either by a field that is set up as the primary key field. You can kind of fudge it by saying, I want something where the record has this as the surname, or I can use this as this ID. Give me record one. Give me record 116. Um, it, so there are three methods to do it. Each of those will give you back, assuming the record is there, each of those will give you back some some form of answer. Um, so there's a little bit about understanding how that works. Depends how your primary keys work. Depends what's the most efficient. Maybe passing around a 32 character UID isn't the most efficient way to do things, but it maybe it is. Okay. So so you you, you just target it a, a certain way. If you know the primary key of a particular record, you can just add that to the query and say 
whatever the primary key field name is, is equal to using the EQ, I think you said, and okay. Uh, yeah, so you can go uh, la 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 forward slash uh, this table, open brackets, one, close brackets. Give me back record one from that table. Um, go no, go on. Or uh, forward slash, forward slash, forward slash, uh, this field, as I said, open brackets, single speech mark, the UID, single speech marks, close bracket, that will bring you back that. If you then go forward slash and a field name, it will just bring you back the field name, that field for that record. So that's one way of writing the query in the URL string. Yeah. So you're going forward slash this field name with this this value, forward slash this field says give me that field from the record with that as in that field so it's like writing a query because the other queries are effectively it's called a filter for a good reason you're saying find me uh, find me all the records where the surname uh, equals or does not equal brown okay that's a filter because you're not targeting one specific record you're saying Find me all the records that match this query. It's called a filter. But if you know that you want one specific record, and within that you want one field, for example, then you can pull that. You can pull that back in that way. It, it depends what query you're asking for. More of an. Um, so, hey, John, you know, uh, we, we had to take a pause here that no one uh, heard, but um, something pretty amazing happened in that split second pause. FileMaker 19.3 and FileMaker Server 19.3.1 was released. Isn't that amazing? It, it's, it's magic. Jeremy. It's magic. Honestly, I, <laughs> while we're just sitting here having these thoughts, yeah. Claris goes, here's something new. <laughs> literally as we took a pause it yeah. all happened so that means john we have to think about let's let's kind of shift our thinking and our our discussion on the newer version because as i understand the version that we were just talking about 30 seconds ago is no longer supported that the new version filemaker server does does odata have its own versioning or is it part of server is it Effectively, we'll talk about this. Uh, Claris have introduced a couple of new features yeah. that they're supporting in OData. So first thing is, what we talked about was the basis of the CentOS version of Linux and or cloud. That is been deprecated. It's still there for like the next year or whatever. So it's not like it's all dead now. But effectively, obviously, it, there are going to be no changes to that version. So anything that we talk about now is only in the new Ubuntu version, but obviously that does affect cloud because you're not in control of which version of server, which version of Linux Claris is presenting to you. So all the new stuff um, is in there. So let's let's talk about that. And we have one more thing that I really want to get to understand is the idea that OData can handle data transactionally. And also because of this sudden change in the last couple of minutes, I'd like you to close out our time by talking about the big changes that that we need to be aware of and any yeah, yeah. any gotcha. So, can we start with transactions first, or should we yeah, start with the no, changes? Let's start with transactions, and then we'll do the other bit at the end. All right, great. So, 
Tell me about how OData handles transactions. From what I understand for Todd, this is a complete game changer. It throws out all of the things that we have to do as FileMaker developers having a layout with and using magic key and all this stuff to create a transactional environment. Even though FileMaker is transactional, we still have to set up a, a an environment, a layout, a context for that to happen. OData throws all that away and it does it on its own. Tell us about transactions. Yeah, so it, it, yes, it, we, as we've said, it throws it away because any action you're doing is based on what OData calls an entity, what we call a table, directly. And you don't need the layout by which to uh, to do it. It's more like a, like I said, it's like a kind of SQL approach. You just kind of write a, write something to update these fields where this is true. Um, so you you can, in the same way that you're doing a get, a get to kind of go, kind of query the data, please, you can do a post or a patch. So post is creating a new record and a patch is on the basis that you want to update some part of a record. And as a single action, any of those, those actions will support what you and I would normally understand as FileMaker's method of stopping something bad happening when it really shouldn't. And so that's everything from record being locked by another user. You can't update the record uh, through the FileMaker client, and you can't do it through OData either. So you just get back an error message that is is uh, contains the standard FileMaker error message, no record locked. And so that is is all the other things that you might expect. So record locking, um, field level validation, something could fail because the validation criteria has failed, whatever that is. Obviously, the other thing is whether or not the username and password that you've that somebody is using to run this script has the permission to do the very thing. So uh, you can protect from kind of uh, some some junior programmer changing your script and changing the table and the records if you just go, sorry, you can't get into there. So all of those things for a specific action, uh, FileMaker will go, nope, sorry, that's that's kind of not happening. What is a single action? What does that refer to? Is that so? So, so one single event. So, doing a insert, a single insert from URL that says, okay. "Get me this, patch this, post this, delete this." Um, each of those. So, you, you know, you generate the script and you do a insert from URL to fire off a single API command. Okay. So, where it gets interesting is stepping into being able to do multiple things in one action okay so if you think of what you need to create like the equivalent of creating a multi-part email where you're coding it yourself so we have a text part and we have an H an rtf part and we have an html part and we have attachment parts you can create in odata what's called a batch um, the way you run it is you go to the url forward slash dollar batch and then in the body you supply this multi-part thing surrounded by boundaries. We're not going to talk about how that's done here because that could take like an hour in itself. But essentially, you can run multiple things uh, together. You can, for instance, collect data from five different tables and five different records and bring it back to you. So you could go, get me that from there, that from there, that from there, that from there, all in one go. And then obviously, it's up to you to manage that data that could be a really useful use case and um, at the same time as getting all those bits of information 
you can also lump together any actions which involve changing the data. So all of those previous actions, we're updating a record or creating a record. You can say, at the same time as you're doing all of that, could you modify that record and modify that record and modify that record and then create this record and create this record and create this record. And obviously, all of those can be in separate tables. Every one of those, so you could have nine actions, all of which happen in separate tables. Uh, what you can't do is create a record and use the record ID in the next batch action. So you can't go, oh, I've just created a record called 174. Now could you just go in this other table and do this? Doesn't work. In some OData systems, that is possible, but not in the Claris version of how they've implemented OData. If I'm getting, let's say I'm, I'm syncing from QuickBooks Online and we, we have our product Ledger Link that does this, that's built transactionally using the, the layout method. But if I'm using OData, I don't know if this applies necessarily. I don't know if QuickBooks Online handles OData or whatnot, but it's, it's coming back as an object of an invoice and a bunch of invoice line items. Normally what I would do is I would process the invoice, I would create the record, and then I would immediately use the primary key of that to create the related invoice line items so that they automatically you know, are related in the FileMaker um, relationship structure. How does that work as a, if you, how does it work to link them together? It, you, you can't use the primary key of the FileMaker record because OData, it doesn't know what that is, I guess, I don't know. Correct. So I think you'd be creating a different way of doing it, which is generating an invoice record, but giving it a primary key and then using that as the as the foreign key in the next. So you could set a set an invoice record with a primary key, followed by set three line item records with a foreign key that is the same. So you're going there it is rather than in your method, it's do a script create a record which you don't commit, but you get back the primary key, use that primary key in the next set of steps, script steps, and then you commit right at the end to push the, push the records. Well, this way, you would it's a different methodology, I think. Generate the primary key, push that into the invoice record, and then push that into the three line item records as the foreign key. Push that into the three, uh, the three line item records as the foreign key. So OData is run via a script, right? I mean, that you use the insert from URL, right? So um, you would go to the invoice table, you would create a record, and that automatically generates the primary key. Then you immediately use that primary key in your OData request to somehow, well, you're, well, you're you not going to yeah, yeah, you can't do it in one batch, okay. is what I'm saying. That yeah. becomes two things. Make hmm. an invoice record, get back the the unique ID, then do a batch that says add these five line item records with this foreign key, which is the parent for the invoice. So that's two things. Or generate your invoice where you push the unique ID of the record to the record and then create the line items with that uh, with that parent key. Just a slight, slightly different way to do it, but that, that's but that's to do it in one batch in one go. Well, well, you mentioned two batches. So, as as much as I understand, 
you would create the invoice and then all of its invoice line items. None of that would exist yet in the actual file until you committed the record. Two batch method, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're actually creating the invoice record. That will suddenly then exist in the FileMaker field, a record table with no invoice line items attached to it yet. Correct, if you do it that way. Now, in the thing that the thing that you're kind of you know that we need to talk about is is what we all understand by FileMaker's handling of all of that stuff in one go as a transaction. Uh -huh. And what we mean by that is what Todd's talked about for years and years and years. Do all of these things, and right at the end, a single commit will write all the records in the tables that you've gone off and created. So whether if you're using Magic Key or whatever you're using. As long as there's no way of committing that record beforehand through your scripting, a single commit at the end uh, will commit all the records. And if there is some error in committing that, you can then immediately revert the record and all of those child and dependent records don't ever get created. That's what we have understood by FileMaker doing a transactional thing or people have pushed how FileMaker operates to turn FileMaker into a transactional type of system. It's not a true transaction on some levels, but it absolutely works. And it works consistently every time. So that's why it can be depended on. Um, obviously, you have to handle things like whether or not internal serial numbers have been uh, incremented because you created the record, but then you removed it. So you have to change whether you generate the serial numbers on commit or on create. But all of those things can be handled quite easily. Um, the theory is that OData should be able to do that. Go off, create this, create this, create this. You might, like I say, you might have to change the methodology for generation of primary keys so it's not generated on the record create to be able to push them to them. However, I have done some extensive testing and I have to report to you that it doesn't work in this in the way that you would love it to work so the theory would be i've got nine things if it fails at the third step or at the ninth step what i really want is that all of the previous steps don't get committed but that isn't how it currently works now i don't quite know whether that's by design or by some kind of interpretation of the odata rules or it actually it should work, but it doesn't work, and I couldn't, I can't at the moment answer that question for you. What happens is, let's say you've got nine things to do, and the fifth one fails for some reason. It's actually changing a different record, and somebody's got it locked. Um, you'll get back item one changed, item one happened, one row affected, item two happened, item three, item four, item five failed with a FileMaker error code, but the first four things have happened and don't roll back. Now, there is a feature, however, that you can use to your advantage if you want to do that, because there is a header that you can include um, in your request that basically says, it's a, one of the preferred headers, odata.continueonerror means that, carry on going to the end of the batch regardless of any errors. So. 
if the fifth thing fails and the sixth thing fails, the seventh and eighth and ninth would still happen if if you wish that to be your behavior. Then what you get back clearly is a big block of, let me tell you what happened, and it's up to you to then go, okay, one, two, three, and four happened, five and six didn't happen, seven, eight, and nine did happen. I need to now do something about because it depends absolutely on what that batch of transactions is. You have visibility. If if you are doing nine updates to nine different records and two of them failed, you know that two of them failed. So you could go and try it again because it may just be record locking. You could log that in a file to say, I tried to change this from this to this, but I couldn't do it. So you can go and look at that later. So that's a positive, but it means it's not transactional in the way that I think we'd all prefer it to be. And inside the OData specification, it does say, I'm going to read it, all operations in a change set represent a single change unit, so a service must successfully process and apply all the requests in the change set or else apply none of them. Now, I read that to be what you and I want to happen as a transaction, which is either do it all or don't do it. That's what the transaction should be. At the moment, I'm going to be saying it doesn't work in that way, uh, which is probably a bit of a disappointment, if I'm, if I'm really honest. Although, like I say, there are some features. Just carry on and keep on going if there were any mistakes, because you'll get back all of the answers to the nine things that you just told it to do. And then it's up to you as a programmer to process it. But it, it doesn't mean it's a direct replacement for that magic key, set 10 portal row items, do a single commit, and it all happens or not. That's 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 news. Obviously, that's um, you know that's uh, that's kind of a big thing about about transactions. You're you're describing stuff very technical. I assume there are people who know who will listen to this and follow every single word that you said, and <laughs> and be able to apply it. Is is OData going to be a, a widespread thing for most FileMaker developers? Uh, possibly not, but I think. The case I argue, so there's two sides to it. One is the whole getting data. I think the big use case is you do not, so first of all, A, as you've said, you do not have to have a layout just to get some data and only the data you want. You literally query the table. And anybody else who can do that in any other system, whether that's like a Microsoft system, half of SAP is built on OData. So if, if you're a programmer who has skills, in the same way that if you're an S, a SQL programmer and you turn up at FileMaker and somebody says, can you write me a query to do this? You can write the query doing complex things with joins and everything because you know the language to use. So external programmers can go, oh, you can talk to this by, by OData. Oh, I know how to do that. Uh -huh. same with, it's like ODBC, that kind of stuff. Okay. So that, that's part of the use case. Uh, secondly, uh, like I say, the other thing is then, well, you can now query. You could do five queries from five different tables inside one file. So you could you could get just records which aren't even joined in the relationship graph. You're just doing it by some kind of key system. That works. And then the other thing is various clients that can talk OD that can talk OData. So Tableau, for example, but Click and other kind of BI tools, those kind of tools can use OData as a source. If you are building your business intelligence using one of those external tools, you can then go, there you go, OData. 
the advantages, OData is basic authentication. Let's just repeat that. So you've got, you don't have to manage tokens, la, 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 la. Um, it makes it a simpler process because it's a one, it's a one hit, and obviously you're in charge of the tokens. So that there's some of the use cases. Now I can see that it's like I say, it's I I think the idea of a proper data separation where even in a completely different file on a completely different server, you have some tables with some data in that you'd actually like to grab into this file right now, whether that's on a permanent or temporary basis. So having your data warehouse with 10 years worth of sales on it, and then the managing director says, could you just do this query for me against some level of history that is not in the current file? So good practice, only have the records in, the, in your file that you really want to work with. Now, don't store 10 years worth of history if you don't need to, because it means the backups are massive. There's an OData use case. I think we said some while ago now. As with everything, it's a tool. The issue is what's the right thing? Everything should not be hit with a hammer. Everything should not be hit with OData. It's new. And part of what I've done is a lot of experimenting. And part of this podcast is to go, well, everybody else should start experimenting who's an experimenter and see what else we can do with it, see where the use cases really sit and see where the edge cases are and see what doesn't work. Have you seen a lot of trainings develop around this for FileMaker developers? I know that I, you know, I try to get JavaScript trainings so that it becomes accessible to people. No, no, I'm going to say quite slim. Obviously, it's a new feature. You know, not everybody has taken up the CentOS version of Linux. It's a, you know, there's a there's a bit of a lag, and that's everything from we don't install brand new versions of a server into production until it's settled down a bit. This is literally minutes old, you know, that we've got 19.3. So I'm doing, I've been doing this research for me, but I'm doing it to just work out where our conversations start from. So whether that's answering questions in the community that you and I do, when people say, oh, I've got a problem with this, I can go, oh, actually, I've got the answer maybe. Um, but also potentially things like user groups. Uh, I've done a I've done a presentation in the UK on it, but potential user groups and Claris Engage, where we could get to introduce it to people. And then the the issue is whether or not it becomes a widespread thing. You know, if if only three people want to use it across our communities, then it isn't really something you'll find a lot of training about. The point is because it's an external thing you can use the web to find all kinds of theoretical stuff about how, how you should write an OData query. But obviously you have to filter that based on what FileMaker have done. And I, I assume that the people who use this initially will, you know, they, they've worked with OData before, they, they can read the documentation and figure out how FileMaker implements it and what, what are the, the particular quirks of it. So... It's not like someone's coming in brand new, un- uh, not knowing anything about this, suddenly needing to use it. No, 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 absolutely not. I, okay. It's very similar to when we got the execute SQL statement. Yeah. In in a in a you know, there were people who already were using it through a plugin. There were people who were already well ahead of the game. Jason Young wrote the SQL Explorer thing as a here's to, here's a way to familiarize yourself uh, with the tool and how it works. There are still developers, we're talking years ago now, there are still 
many developers would just go, oh, I've never used it. There were people who tried making every hide calculation and execute SQL statements <laughs> and wondered why everything ground to a halt. And we've learned that you don't do complex queries across five hops of a, a relationship graph where there's some unstored calcs in the middle of it because it, it's not performant. We know that, so we don't do it. But there are, there are clearly some use cases where it's a very useful thing to be able to do yep. to, to grab a quick value. This is essentially that, but let's think about it as grab a quick value, but it doesn't have to be from here. It can be from anywhere, and you don't need to know anything other than that a table is there and a field is there because that's what you're querying. I don't have to. I can tell you the, I can tell you the path to a file and a username and a password. You could query it yourself and go, oh, I now know that this is available to me. You don't, I don't need to tell you layouts and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, the get side of it, there will be some compelling use cases for it. It's not necessarily, in that sense, mainstream. I mean, I guess I need to practice what I preach and embrace the new technologies, right? So I should take Absolute, a look at this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the big thing is that because it's API type of stuff, somebody can share a Postman collection with you, and all you do is change the name of your file, your username and password, and go, there's 10 things that work. Then share a file, make a file with you, similar thing. Put that file on the server, change the username and password, make sure, the, make sure the path is correct. This works. That's the initial stage in, in which we kind of want to make it happen, really. It just works. So, And the simplest case that you just described was having two separate files and being able to use Odata to pull from the, the data warehouse, like you said. You don't need to... Okay. Yeah, that... That seems doable because we all we know how to create two separate files. We can put data in them. Um, I uh, I assume OData works with the security privileges, um, right? It, yes. Yeah, everything is is fine there. We may have talked about that before. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> that pause was really short, but <laughs> suddenly... <laughs> well, a lot happened, Jeremy, in that in that, Oof, in that second, second pause. <laughs> Well, um, since we are in the newest version, uh, 19.3, um, what are the the current gotchas, the current things that are going on that we need to know about right now? Uh, so there's, I think it's two, it's two major areas. One is something new that Claris have given us. So um, there's a process which in some other in some other worlds is called upsert, where you go. Either change this record, or if the record doesn't exist, create the record. And this is now possible using OData. So it was a theory before. You use an if match header. So it says if this record exists, then change this on it. But if it doesn't, create the record and add these and add this field data to it. And that's quite an interesting change. There's some. There are sometimes reasons for why a record got deleted. But in fact, if you need to modify the record after it's been deleted to, you know, somebody changes something two years after an order was created, you want to add some conditions to it and you've accidentally deleted it, you you could uh, you could recreate the record, at least with the primary key. That's one difference. The other big difference is in all the things I might have said um, about container fields, uh, I might have said, that, and it's still true, obviously, if you're running the CentOS version, because that's not being updated. 
um, is that the data API could give you back a streaming link for a container field, which you could then grab and use to whatever use, whether it's on a website or copy and paste it into a browser and get the file. Um, that is, in fact, a bit of a security hole because if you get hold of that URL for all of the time that the session tokens are live, you can still grab the file from the URL. Um, it's not time limited or number of downloads limited. So that as a security hole has been closed. Um, so now you need you need some kind of credentials to be able to get to the file. In practice, what it means is that if you just try and stick that into a browser, it depends what your browser is doing. Effectively, it needs to handle setting a cookie with a session token and handle a redirect to be able to get the file. If it can't do that or doesn't do that because of security reasons, you will just get an unauthorized. And that actually is true in Safari on a Mac. Just try and paste the link in Safari. It'll go, no, you can't do that. There are some other browsers that will handle that. But essentially, it's not designed for that purpose. It's designed for here's a controlled method of getting some information, but you have to be able to, like I say, set the, set the cookie in the meantime. So you can't use an image that's in a container field as a source, just as the straight URL. You need to be able to do some other things with it. Um, that's a good thing because it's a security issue. The other big thing is that now, in fact, we'd said that previously, if you use the OData to get the record, you would end up downloading the binary contents of the file. Uh, now, if with the use of a header, which just effectively says, can I have back um, a link to this? You can get back a link to the same container file in OData. Now, the difference is that because it's basic authentication, if I gave you the URL and a username and a password, you could insert the username and password in the URL string using the HTTP forward slash user colon pass at and the rest of it. And it will get you the file, depending on whether or not, if it's an image, it will show it. Um, uh, that may or may not be, that's up to you to manage that security because you're in control of the username and password. But actually that's a big thing where there's now parity between the two versions. We're not stuck with, oh, you can only download the container data. And the reason why that's important is because the container data is metered and you don't want to be downloading. If somebody puts a two gig file in every single one of your container fields and then you have an OData query, you could be burning up your data allowance quite quickly. Um, so those those couple of things are, are the kind of the biggest changes. It means there's, there's parity between OData and the data API in terms of being able to get a link to a container field but it's up the security and additionally with OData, you can now create a record if it doesn't exist and if it does exist, update it. Uh, they're, they're quite big things. Um, again, because it's brand, brand new, I've played with it, it works. Uh, just needing to work out uh, what that what you can do with that effectively, which would be your okay. next question. So. so the gotchas are not like, they're just new things to think of. In one case, it's a security fix and so forth. So this is these are good. I, I realize that it's brand new already and it's already undergoing some changes. Is this something to use in prime time already or do you want to wait for a couple of versions? 
The version thing, because the version thing is external, FileMaker has implemented 4.0 of the OData specification, and that's what we're getting. They have chosen with the if match thing to add, to kind of open up another bit in the same way that when we first had insert from URL, not all curl options are supported. And gradually they've been adding some more of the how the optional stuff works, uh, being able to do this and that and the other. I think that's that's the similar use case here. We have we have a very good package of using OData. Gradually they may be rolling out, oh here's something else that OData can do that we hadn't implemented before, but now we will. It's not that the versions the version of OData is changing significantly or rapidly. It's just FileMaker's implementation of it that over time we may see a couple of other features, uh, feature sets. Prime time. So it's a brand new, it's a Ubuntu server. If you're happy with putting production data on a brand new version of a server on a brand new operating system from day one, because you like living dangerously, <laughs> then you're going to be doing it. And then, you know, you'd, you'd go, Execute SQL is the nearest thing I can think of. Is it ready for prime time? Well, as soon as it released, it was released, it was within its limitations. There were some people who started using it from day one. Yeah. Um, I want to trust that Claris is not releasing stuff that's only half finished to us um, and that it works as advertised. Um, therefore, with a proviso that, you know, they've just changed something for the good that we have to be monitoring what changes happen when a new version comes out. I'm already using OData in some of the stuff I'm writing because it because the features it gives me are, I think, worth having. Those are, to some degree, experimental in that I'm using it to see whether or not it, it actually stands up in terms of production, to, in terms of volume of data or whatever. But I'm personally, I'm using it already. Because um, I'm an I'm I'm an experimenter and an early adopter while being ult- utterly conservative at heart as well. You know, it's a weird, weird combination. So, well, that's great. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to leave it there because if we take one more pause, something <laughs> the, crazy the world might will explode. Or something <laughs> it might happen again. So, how about this? We will we will let you play with it for a while, and then you can come back and give us a report on all of its greatness and all of its frustratingness and and so forth sound good brilliant absolutely yeah that'll be good okay well thank you uh john and i appreciate you taking all this time with me and you know i'm glad you're exploring it i admit i i didn't even really look at the data api until i started using the execute data api script step so um i need to maybe figure out how to get on this a little bit faster this well this is a kind of it's a halfway house between that and some other bits of technology. You're already doing stuff with APIs using insert from URL. It's just a little, a few, a few different script steps and some different options to use. But once you get your head round, oh, it's this instead. It works in a similar way to the data API. Wonderful. Bingo. Well, thank you. Good to no talk problem. with you. Thanks, Jeremy. Great to talk with you as ever. Yeah. All right. Bye bye. Cheers. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Context Podcast. Thanks to John for his insight into using OData. His excitement for the feature is clear. John has been tinkering with it since it was first introduced. 
He has great ideas and has brainstormed what he could do with it, and indeed mentions he's already used it in production. I'm glad John could come on the Context Podcast to help us a little bit better understand the use of OData and why it's an important part of the Claris FileMaker platform. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Also send me an email with some thoughts about topics and even bring your voice to the, the podcast as well. All right, talk to you next time.